Hi, this is Ryan Bloom. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, we're going to find out how Ashley Moore started as a young woman in Texas who loved to change up her room every school year, design, color, even a ballet bar, how she became a middle school teacher and decided to retire from education and make a huge pivot into designing her own home, then the homes of her friends in her community, and now, several years later, has grown an incredible following and boutique company called Moore House Interiors. We're going to talk about her philosophy on design, the impact of COVID in the market, and what she sees as the future for indoor-outdoor design integration. Enjoy. Hey there. Ashley Moore. How are you? I, I, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. How about Good. yourself? Doing good. It's cold here in Texas. We got a cold front last night, so we're enjoying this cooler weather. Well, I'm in Montreal, so I would love to hear what you see as cold. Well, I don't see, I mean, it's 50, so it's cool. My children would tell you it's freezing. We would never make it. (laughs) You know what? It's all context. You know, I grew up here, but I've lived in California. I've lived in South Carolina. I've lived in the Cayman Islands. And it's all context. And it's oh, so amazing sure. how 50 can feel like 20 if you're in a different place. For sure. For sure. Thank you for, uh, thank you for making the time today. I've really been looking forward to this discussion with you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'd love to start if we can. Um, I spent a lot of time on your website and I want to get to that. And I also want to get to the pretty remarkable um, content channel, I would say, that you've built out of Instagram and how much you have in terms of followers and shot. I mean, really remarkable what you've done. Um, But before that, can you take maybe just a few minutes and tell, tell me about yourself, your history? I've obviously read your bio. I know a lot about your education and how you, what an incredible pivot from middle school teacher into what you've done. But (laughs) Tell me a little bit about what I, I didn't read on your site and learn a little yeah. bit about you. So I'm Ashley Moore, um, founder of Morehouse Interiors, located in Tomball, Texas. So we're just right outside of Houston. Um, it's a crazy, like you said, it's kind of crazy how I pivoted. I went to A&M, uh, Texas A&M, and graduated in 2006 with an education degree, taught middle school, seventh grade, language arts and Texas history for five or six years. Um, my husband and I got pregnant with our daughter and I knew there was no way that I was going to be able to teach middle schoolers full time and then come home and be a really great mom. So that was always our plan for me to retire from teaching then. And that happened and she became our main focus and home has always been super important to me. Um, and I don't think I truly realized the correlation between what I'm doing now with what I did back when I was a child. Um, but when Emma was a baby, I just really worked on making sure home was just really special place and a sacred space for our family and friends. Um, and then enters baby number two and he threw us for a crazy loot, like didn't sleep through the night until he was three. I mean, yeah, it was a special, special time. But during that time we had bought a house here in Tomball, we renovated it. And my husband jokingly told me, he was like, you should take your teacher retirement money and start a business because you actually, our house is gorgeous. And with him being so supportive with that, um, I, I just went for it. 
and started helping friends and family with their homes. And it has rapidly grown into today's Morehouse Interiors. But looking back, um, when I was a kid, my grandpa was a carpenter and a welder. And we would spend hours upon hours in his shop growing up. And in college, I actually designed all my furniture for my bedroom and he made it all for me. So, and also growing up, my mom let me redecorate my room every single summer. Like it was wallpaper, it was painting. We changed everything up. And I never, I guess growing up in a lower middle-class family in a small, small town, like you just never heard of somebody hiring an interior designer to do work in their home. It just wasn't a luxury that we had. So I never even thought of it as a career option. Teaching was a safe option, but thankfully my husband um, kind of saw the fire within me within our own home and told me to jump. What did people do before? So I know obviously interior design and design has been available to the uh, upper upper income or into the luxury for, for a long time. But I think to your sure. point, it was not something that was accessible. I think a lot of the more progressive retailers, even at the big box level, at the Lowe's, Home Depot, Wayfair, House, Pinterest level, that is really answering a lot of that, helping people give them ideas and to sort of guide. Before those things existed, which is really only a phenomenon of the last 15 years, let's say, what did the, historically, what would have someone in your family's income bracket, if you, if you, if you will, what would you have done? How would you have designed your, what, what would have been the, the path? The go-to my mom. I mean, it was magazines. I mean, country living, Southern living. She had all those. And I remember she had a binder and she would just rip out things and earmark mark things. Um, as a teenager, I don't even, it was whatever I was interested in. I mean, I danced growing up. So one year we did a whole ballet themed room. I mean, we put a ballet bar in my bedroom, just, it was, and we watched, it was trading spaces back in the day before HGTV was even a thing. And I remember us watching and Sarah Richardson, I think she was one of the first HGTV shows that we watched and my mom and I would just watch it religiously, but she always had a love for design and took um, really good care of making sure our home was the place where all of our friends wanted to come and hang out and just make sure that we were comfortable there. So I give a lot of the credit to her for sure. It's, it's quite remarkable the impact of our parents on our futures, even if it's not a linear path. If, if my late father had not uh, with my mom purchased uh, a, a country home an hour north of the city that was literally in shambles and hadn't been used for, I believe, almost 20 years before we purchased it. If they had not done that, and I'm leaping forward almost uh, decades, the idea of what Urban Bonfire was in its idea and its ideology never would have come to be. And it's so hard to connect the dots moving forward. Only when you connect them backwards do things sort of make sense. So interesting you say that. Yeah, it really is. Cool. It's, it's been a fun. It's fun to look back and kind of just see how God has weaved everything in the way he has so perfectly. Amazingly true. Um, quite an interesting leap going from middle school <laughs> to dealing with clients in the interior design area. I have to imagine that the level of patience and understanding 
that you got as a middle school teacher has probably helped in in some ways, and maybe they're even sort of more challenging in some ways. Um, I would think so, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to come back. It's a question that I ask frequently. I, I want to come back to how much access today's consumer has to experience design, whether that's at the retail level, on the internet, whether it's shows, YouTube, uh, following other designers, uh, social media, Pinterest, house, these types of things. And I often ask designers, do you find this is more of a help or in some ways a hindrance because the client is now coming to you? In many ways, having removed the envisioning process because they've already, I like this, I like this, I don't like this. Almost, does that eliminate some of the creative envisioning process that you like to deploy with your clients? You know, yes and no. I think it's it's really great in some aspects and in other aspects, it's it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it's since we're designing, like our whole philosophy is I'm designing for my client. I'm not designing for myself. Yes, I want to be able to get creative, but I need to know what they like and what they don't like. And I approach all of our clients as like, I'm going to take what you like and I'm going to push that boundary just a little bit to see if I can get you something a little bit more out of your comfort zone. But um, I like having it. I don't have to read their minds <laughs> when I have a visual of this is what I like. And so we just kind of press that boundary a little bit more. Are there projects or aspects of projects or clients that you have not taken on because there was too much misalignment on what I guess I would have to, I'm asking the question this way. You said it very well. And I think all of us in the, in the service industry and design industry, we are working for our clients. It's important that they love it, but we also have to be mindful of our own aesthetic and our own brand and that our stamp is really on that. Those can be opposing forces in, in some cases. Um, Has that ever been uh, something you've had to deal with? No, not really. For our firm, like I will take on, I'm not going to say any client, but I mean, we have our criteria, but as far as our look and stuff, if it's, if it's a client that I can work with and they're going to give me freedom to kind of push them outside their boundary, it may be something we don't add to our portfolio, but um, we, we, we're here to serve our clients. And I know you said you looked on our website, one of our, um, I think it's, I'm trying to think of what we named it. It's one of the old world. I think it's old world. Willow Creek old world or something that home is totally not our aesthetic. It is very ornate. And, um, the clients were really wanting dark, 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 everything. So we pressed, we pressed them a little bit to try to give them that ornateness, but in an updated way that still felt fresh and modern. And as you do that and what at this point, having done, and again, having spent a lot of time on your site and, 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 and your, your social media channels, there's obviously, and, and I am certainly no expert in design, but there, there is a, a level of cohesion in the voice, I would say. You, you can tell that there is similar um, aspects of color and texture and light. Like I can see those in your imagery and, and your pictures are, are so so well done. Where do you continue to find inspiration on a project by project basis? Are there elements that you look to to help continually drive you in a in a creative way that help you deliver more for your clients? 
That's a great question. Um, you know, I really draw a lot of inspiration from nature and just being out. And it's been really hard during this COVID season, not being able to travel and do things. Um, but old Pinterest is a great place for me to go when I can't travel and look at other architectural styles and different things like that. And thankfully we have those resources now because I can't imagine if 20 years ago, something like this were to have happened, where, where would we go to get that inspiration? And I think Instagram, all the other talented designers that are out there, just being able to search and look at their feeds. There's so many, I mean, fabulous, fabulous designers that we can all get inspiration from. Totally agree with you. I, I try to, and I'm learning so much just since we started this, this podcast series. The, I am learning so much about how big the umbrella or how big the definition is of the term design. And it's so remarkably subjective in what it means to different types of, of people. It's, it's incredible. And how in some ways the barriers to entry in call small, it's like, I'm a stylist or I'm a life coach. What exactly are the credentials that allow you to, I mean, I, I look on the internet and there's 21 year old life coaches and that's not me passing a value judgment. I'm just saying, if I'm 46, have you lived enough to be able to coach me in life? Maybe yes, maybe yeah. no, but becoming a designer, of course there are, there are, there is education and there are things that happen, but a lot of it, it's just hands-on practical experience learning, making mistakes, tweaking. When you see the number of people who are now thinking about going into design or are calling themselves designers, do you see this as a good thing, as a challenge? Should there be more, um, should there be more need for um, categorization, if you will, or, or that type of thing? Should there be in the term design or in that role? You know, I'm not... I didn't go to school for it. I think God gifts us with natural ability. I think it's awesome if you do go to school for it. Um, so I use the term designer for myself loosely. I think if you have what it takes and the gumption that you can learn and do it, go for it. There is enough people and enough homes in our world that we can all have a space for. I think everyone, um, I may... I look at Shay McGee and what she has built with her company and her aesthetic and brand. And she didn't go to school for it either. Joanna Gaines didn't go to school for it. So I think, I think there's room for us all. And I know that some ladies that have spent and gentlemen that have spent a lot of time in school and learning everything that you can um, get really hurt by the fact that some of us coming in um, and I, some of them say that we take their jobs. I don't know. It's, it's a very, it's a very fine line within some of the groups that we're in, but I think there's space for us all. I, I, I could not agree with you more. And I, I'm the perfect example of, you know, 15 or even maybe less, even 10 years ago, the term entrepreneur or business owner, you pipped most people typically thought that this individual had gone to school, done a, uh, gotten a BCom or an MBA or, or something like that in a formal education setting. 
to give them the credentials to start or run a business. And in the same way as you didn't go to school for design, I didn't go to school for business. Far from it. I was a political science uh, sort of student. I think you're right. I think it's that idea of finding inside each of us what really ignites us and what makes us passionate and what gets us you know, out of bed with a with a drive to do something with the time that we have, whether it's that day or that week or whatever it may be. Sure, yeah. I think that is the that is the bigger differentiator in the success factor. And I'm not even talking financially. I'm also talking just our own personal satisfaction with what we do. That to me is the bigger thing than some letters after after my name. I agree. And I think, I mean, we each have a gift. Like I you'll notice in most of my designs, I don't use a lot of pattern and bright, bold, bright things. Those things, that's not my gift. Um, and I have friends that do this and that is their gift and they attract those types of clients. So I think we just kind of all have to stay in our lanes and do like what you said, what gets us up in the morning and puts a fire under our butts and just how we can serve people well. (laughs) To that point, um, and I'm going to assume this has a lot to do with your um, what has driven you, but and I'll ask the question in the way that what has driven me to continue to grow Urban Bonfire comes down to not the fact of the product that we design or that we manufacture or that we sell, it's the where it ends up. And that I feel, and, and albeit some people may see this as a little bit cheesy, but I don't really mind. I believe that the products that we create when combined with others create a platform for people's outdoor memories. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something very special about, about that. And that's how I can say, I don't just make a cabinet. I'm actually making that something when it's brought together is the place where memories are created. And that stems from my own personal connection with spending time with my friends and family and community in outdoor places in the country in, in summers. And that's what created the whole idea of the story and brand of, of Urban Bonfire. I get the sense that we're very aligned on friends and family and coming together as a very powerful piece of what drives us. Oh, I'd love sure. to hear, tell me, tell me about your experience with that and how that moves you, drives you, where it where it is in your in your, in your sphere. I mean, that is the whole reason we do what we do, because I think, I mean, our homes are so important, whether it's just for your immediate family or for your friends. Like I want, I grew up, um, my mom, our house, we could have food in any room. We could put our feet up and we didn't have to worry about messing up anything. Now, my grandmother, on the other hand, she, we did, couldn't even have water in her living room. That was her prerogative. It was just one of those things. And I didn't feel like we could fully live there. I don't want people coming into my home or my client's home where it feels so stuffy that they can't just breathe a sigh of relief and feel like this is a totally safe space um, to what it's maybe a burden that they're carrying or, I mean, just to live life out and have a good time because yes, it, it is all stuff and we can't take it with us when we die. But those memories that our kids are going to have and and our friends are going to have in our homes, I mean, that's so impactful. It's so impactful. And we get into, we're doing new build projects right now with clients and 
sometimes it's so hard to like not get frustrated with the whole design process. Cause there is a lot of back and forth and clients change their mind, which is totally fine, but we have to remember that end goal and why we're doing this. I want to come back to what you described. Uh, it's so interesting. You just brought up a really um, sort of a childhood memory for me. And when I was about 10, yeah, my little brother was six months. So I was 10 years old. We moved into a larger home on the same street of all things. So, so strange. We found a house on the same street and it was a bigger home than we'd ever had. And for the first time, my parents actually worked with a, an interior designer. And I believe that the vast majority of the bandwidth, time and focus went into the living room. I remember there were these things called, forgive me if I'm off, California shutters, uh, a lot of time into what color carpet, uh, a custom made sofa, beautiful, like all this stuff. It was like the focal point of where my parents put their time and attention at the design level. Sure. And it was a room that we never used. Yep. And you just reminded me, it's called the living room. You can't eat in there. You can't drink in there. Don't sit on the sofa, guys. Don't play in there. Just It was a room that was almost like a museum where it's supposed to look pretty, but you're not supposed to touch anything because it's there for the optics of when guests are over to have this kind of space. Sure. Yep. And today in my home, which I'm in the process of rethinking, I have no interest and I don't have a living room. I don't want one. I want every room to be really lived in. How do you balance that historic or that traditional, the living room, the dining room, which is used in most cases very seldomly. Most people eat in the kitchen these days. How do you balance those types of those things? Well, I think um, with all of our clients and even in my own home, we have to think about how we're going to live in the space. So functionality is huge for me. So this house that we live in now, it's not the ideal layout. It does have a formal living room. It has a formal dining room. Um, we very seldomly use the dining room. If we're hosting Christmas, sure. Or if the whole family's over for something, we may use it. Um, our formal living room, we actually, my husband and I decompress in there. Um, a lot of the times that's where I take my Sunday afternoon nap. Um, but really we have to look at the house holistically and go, how are, how are our clients going to live in that space and what makes sense? We recently had a client meeting just over, it was on Friday and they were like, our dining room is massive. Our breakfast room is massive. We have two islands. Do our, do we really need this dining room? What can we use this for? And it's probably not going to get used at all. So it's our job to go in there and let's, let's figure out a way that this room's going to work for this family. And it's sometimes it's difficult. <laughs> I want to transition now. It brings up a really good, I think it's a great segue into your experience and how you see the outdoor space. Hmm. Um, and I have a bunch of questions on, on this subject. Um, First and foremost, have you seen a shift in what people at the consumer level are asking for as it relates to outdoor space activation, whether that is related to COVID or even prior to COVID, just in the upswing that outdoor space has seen over the last five to 10 years? Are you seeing different types of requests and a different level of um, 
seriousness or prioritization, if you will, of the outdoors, which for a really long time kind of lagged behind indoors as a secondary part of the project for a long time. Are you seeing differences in what your clients are looking for, asking for, wanting? I think, um, like you said, it's it's always an afterthought that that outdoor space, and it was for our house. Um, the outdoor patio that's on our website right now is our house. It was one of those things we wanted to get in and see how we live. Most of our clients now are thinking of it not so much as an afterthought, but they want it to be an extension of the way they're living inside, which we're in Texas. It is 100 degrees eight months out of the year. And like you said, you, you get acclimated to where you're at. It may We may be dying of a heat stroke, but we're still going to be outside because we, we all have the pools. We're used to it. The kids want to be out there. It wears the kids out. Like that's just where we entertain. And so, yeah, they want it to be an extension of what is actually going on inside too. What I have heard or one of the reasons why we have done what we've done with our company is that we, we hear countless stories of consumers who said, I wanted to put the same amount of thought or focus or detail and attention into my outdoor space as my indoors. But my interior designer at that time said, we don't really do the outdoors. That's really more you need to speak to a landscaper. It's not an area that we, and that is changing at incredibly rapid rates right now. Are you seeing your projects, your role within projects, taking on the outdoors with a lot more detail and rigor than you would have maybe five or seven years ago? I think so. Now, don't ask me about the landscape because I will kill whatever I put into the ground. Like, and I, I tell my clients, I do not ask me about plants. I can keep roses alive and that's about it. But yes, um, once we get that indoor space really good and uh, cohesive, they want to carry that on outside. And they do. Since we spend so much time outside, they want to make sure that there's comfortable seating for everybody. There's good eyesight to the pool that they can have a bar area and cook and entertain and probably a TV so they can watch a game. So yeah, they really do want our input on everything. I was having a conversation about two weeks ago with a, a very prominent designer in, um, in Northern California and something sort of dawned on me in that the outdoor space for people's homes is a little bit like an executive summary of their indoors. So indoors, you've got a living room and a dining room and a kitchen and a den, for example. You've got all these things that are individual rooms. And outdoors, people typically want to take little elements or the pieces that are meaningful to them and merge them into a much like a little micro tasting menu. So I want my lounge and I need my kitchen and I want to do some gardening and I need a fire feature or I'm a, to your point, I'm a huge fan of watching the game. So I need a TV. Is that a challenge for designers that you need to now bring in all of these experiences with much less space to actually work with? Is that a challenge or a huge opportunity? I think, I think it's a little bit of both because thankfully the spaces that I've designed, the outdoor spaces, they're on acreage. So we have the room to really expand and go maximum on the things. Um, I haven't really dealt with any smaller backyards that we've had to redo, but I can only imagine 
that you have to really guide your clients on how, how they're going to function and use that space outside. Because if you are, our first house was a little bitty ranch house. We had a, a big pool. We only had room for a table. It was important to us that we could eat some meals outside. We didn't have chair. I mean, we had chairs, but we didn't have a lounge area. We didn't have a fire pit. Like you just have to really guide your clients to see what's going to really work for the way they live. I think that's increasingly, uh, you know, especially where you are, where you're, you know, blessed with incredible weather. Um, you know, you get eight months of hundred degrees. We get maybe eight hours here of hundred degrees a year. Um, but what I do believe holds true almost anywhere that we are is that there is an amazing effect of being outdoors on on the memories that are created at that event, whether that's 4th of July or Thanksgiving or Labor Day or a birthday, I get the sense that people just enjoy themselves in outdoor environments in a slightly different way than indoors. And, and to your point, dealing with acreage, which you're so lucky to have, you don't have to worry about breaking a vase for the kids. They can run freely. They can, they can sort of go nuts and be creative and do those types of things. Um, and that's where we have sort of come in and, and trying to look at the, the outdoor eating area with the same level of it's a central gathering place for a family, for friends, for a couple looking to connect as it is indoors. And for so long, the outdoors was, it's a barbecue and that's right. sort of what, what it was. And it's now really trending and becoming really interesting how people are saying the same way that the kitchen island is grand central for our indoor lives, we can have the same thing for our outdoor lives. And they're only about 10 feet or 15 feet away from one another. Yeah. I feel like just, it's so picturesque when you think of like a table with all the, the lights over it. It's just, it's something right out of a magazine. And I feel like people, when we do host here at our house, like people are more relaxed when they're outside and they can kind of kick back. And like you said, not have to worry about breaking anything or the kids trafficking in mud or whatever it is. Everybody can just kind of take a, take a deep breath and really, I think, focus on the people that are right in front of them. You're not so much focused on, oh, that, what a great chair. And like, oh, this is decorated so nicely, but like just really enjoy one another's company being outside. Yeah. And even more so, I imagine during this, the, the, the terrible effects of, of this pandemic, even, even more so. And, you know, I'm, I'm up in Montreal in Canada and we're going through a very challenging time. Our restaurants are closed, our uh, gyms. My wife is a, a yoga studio owner. Her yoga studios are closed. Um, and I think that's just the effect that the whole world is, is basically dealing with. And, uh, I, I've read that along with California and Florida, Texas is one of the hardest hit uh, states in the U.S., obviously with one of the largest populations. Um, I, I first want to ask, or how are you and your family and your community, you know, doing through this? And, and secondly, to call it a silver lining is, is not the right term, and I don't want to do that. But if you can look at any of the um, 
the positive effects, if you will, of how this has changed our behavior a lot in a very quick period of time. Are you experiencing any of that in terms of your own family, your staff and or your clients and what they are, what they're looking for? You know, so we're doing well. We've been very blessed to, we actually moved into our studio the week that our state was shut down. So um, it was really hard there at first because no, everybody thought, okay, this is it's going to be a quick two weeks. Our kids are going to go back to school, yet they were on spring break for like seven months. It was the longest spring break. Um, I think the silver lining, so to speak, has just been all the togetherness. Previously, before COVID hit, I was just, I had talked to my husband. I'm like, I, I'm feeling overworked. I feel like our kids are, they're nine and seven. I'm like, they're going to be graduated before too long. We look at our nephews who are in high school now. And I'm like, they were, they were babies when we got married. Like, this is just flying by way too fast. And I had that conversation with him and then it hit and then we were all together. And that was a blessing and a curse because both my husband and I own our own businesses. So working from home, trying to homeschool, it was just, it was overwhelming. Um, but we were able to escape. Um, my husband's family has a lake house. We spent like three weeks at the lake house, really not hardly doing any work. Um, and just being together. And I think that that just connection has been so important. And so going into clients' homes now, they're rethinking their spaces. I, they need a home office. They know that they need to shut their doors in their home office because the kids are at home and they're running around. So it's it's been sweet to slow down, to say the least, and to not feel like we're still running this rat race of kind of keeping up with the Joneses and doing the next thing. And the kids are signed up for this and that and the other, and just taking a step back and going, okay, what's really important. I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, we spent a big chunk of our summer as well up in our, at our lake house, which is about an hour and, and about an hour from, from, from the city where we live. And it's where I grew up uh, spending my summers and I can't imagine, and, and I, I, I'm very blessed to have this in, in my life that, you know, my parents bought this when I was six years old and my brothers and all of our families now share this, this, this land and this home. Um, I can't imagine what it would have been like without it. I think the ability for the kids to run around, to jump into the lake, to just, I, I think that it would have been a very different experience on the on the sanctity of our family and our families and our homes, if we did not have a little bit of reprieve. And I'm, uh, I, I, I take that, uh, I feel very, very grateful to have had that because very few people did or do. Right. I'm right there with you. My kids, Absolutely oh, amazing. it would have been a long, long, long seven months had we not been able to get away. That's for sure. Amazing. I have another question. I want to sort of sort of wind down with this. I think one of the reasons why interior designers historically have not necessarily embraced the outdoors is because there were far fewer options of furniture, materials, uh, uh, accessories, lighting accents, heating, cooling, a whole plethora of things that are standard indoor. That is obviously over the last five, seven years improved a lot. There are 
brand new fabrics, uh, pergolas, heaters, air conditioning outdoor. I mean, there's almost everything you can do. In, in your specific area of practice, are there things that you wish there were available for outdoors that are currently not? Or do you, if you were looking forward five or 10 years into what the future consumer will be asking for, are there any things that say this, there is a, there is a void here? You know, the only thing I wish there was something better of is a countertop material for an outdoor space. I feel like granite, um, a lot of our clients are coming to us and they don't want it. It's too busy for them. So that's really the only thing I feel like there are so many things you may have to do a lot of research on them, um, which I had to do with our outdoor space, but in all actuality, everything we have is really at our fingertips that we need. So I can't really pinpoint anything. And truthfully, had I not, had we not done our outdoor patio extension, we would have still been happy with what we had. It was just getting outside with our kids um, and with our friends. We made it work before. I think people will continue to make it work with whatever we have in the years to come. There is a very dear friend of mine and professional colleague who actually happens to live in Houston. Her name is Patty Dominguez. I don't know if you know her. She is one of the head people of Cosentino for North America. I don't know if you've worked if you've worked with Decton on any of your projects yet, um, but as it relates to outdoor countertop, Decton is used in if not 99%, certainly 98% of all the projects that we put through wow. in North America, it has all of the properties of indoor quartz, but it's right. UV stable and it works outdoors. No color discoloration, no fading. It can handle hot, cold, you name it. And there, I think now it's 60 some odd colors. So there is absolutely now an amazing alternative to granite and it's just going gangbusters it's everywhere and I, I can't i can't speak more highly of a complimentary product to what we do than than decton just amazing for outdoor use. we've been dying to use it in an indoor space and i never even thought about using it in an outdoor space it's it's yeah. literally the perfect material whether you're in the north pole or you're in Houston, it can yeah. literally handle whatever you throw at it. And you can do mitered edges built up, thinner, thicker. I mean, right. backsplashes, you're, you're, you got like a Crayola box of options. My homeowners that are building are going to be very happy that you said that because now we have other options. Well, I will make a personal introduction for you by email. And I, I'm sure I'm actually speaking with her today. And I'll make sure that uh, I'm sure you'll be very, very well taken care of. Fantastic. No, that I wish I had some. Now my husband's not going to like you because I'm going to be like, hey, honey, we need to replace our granite outside. <laughs> Things happen. It's fine. it's fine. Last last thing I want to ask you about today is your social media, because sure. for someone to get to. 15,000 followers and group in things like the ability to shop. This is more than just a portfolio. This is an incredible content tool that you 
have obviously used in an incredible way. Tell me about your relationship with Instagram, which from what I can see is your primary platform. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, that's how, have you, how, how have you built it? How much time and effort do you invest in it? How have you used it as a tool? I, this is, I think, to our audience, one of the things that everybody wants to hear because it's the platform on how we all share our voice. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you for the sweet words. Um, it has, social media is a blessing and a curse. I think there's many weeks that I've gone, oh my gosh, I've spent way too much time staring at my screen or planning or commenting and my kids are sitting right in front of me. However, I feel like I started, I remember when Instagram first came out and my daughter who is now nine, almost 10 was just a baby. And it was like, filter everything, post her pictures. And once I started this business, it was, we have to be on here. It's such a visually, um, we're in such a visual, in visual industry. This is a visual platform. This is a no brainer. So if you go all the way back to the very beginning, there are some very, you can see how our style has evolved, but um, it was one of those things where it was just get on there and post, just try to get your name out there and post. I didn't really become super serious about it until about two years ago. I think when we first hit our thousand followers was because Pottery Barn reshared my kitchen that had some of their lights in it. And that was the first thing that really it was like tag who you're using especially in my own home where I bought a lot of retail it was nothing to the trade because I hadn't officially started this business yet so I was just tagging anybody that I used products builders um, that had worked in the house and two years ago I hired a full-time um, social media manager she's on staff still she's moved into a design role now um, her name's Larson 20 goodness, I think she's 26 now, but she, she knows what's happening in social media world. I feel like I'm quickly aging myself out of social media, just as my kids can use it and know what's actually going on. And now the whole world of reels, I'm like, what is this? By the time I learned one, my right. son, who's almost 15 was like, that's not, you gotta be on TikTok. Like I can't keep up by the time I learn one, I learn a story and now it's onto something totally, totally different. Yeah. So Larson was really able to come in and just really focus on that. And she very quickly understood my why of starting this business and attached to like grabbed onto my voice and was able to, I feel like she has really just done it all with that. Um, but yeah, like you said, TikTok is the thing or the reels now. It's really, I feel like keeping up with the algorithm and knowing what's causing them to push your information up into the feed. But honestly, I don't know how we grew it. We've been consistent. That's really the only thing. And we make it a point to really connect with anybody that comments um, or messages us. I think one of the, when I first started, if I would reach out to somebody and just say something nice and they didn't in return to say thank you. Um, not really hurt my feelings, but I just, if somebody's going to take the time to stop and comment on our stuff, that means something to us. And so we really want to um, acknowledge that and give them thanks. Absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Ashley, I have enjoyed this conversation immensely. I thank you for uh, making the time. 
Um, thank you for your work. Thank you for, um, thank you for, um, I think thank you for being a, a leader in the way that you took something very personal and experience from childhood and, and turned it into something that, you know, that, that you live with, with, with real authenticity. And I, uh, I think the world does much better with more people doing that in whatever they do from being a plumber to an interior designer, to a guy who, you know, loved his bonfire pit as a kid and decided to make a business out of it. Um, I think there's something really special about sharing passion with, uh, with the world. And I think those who do are the, the voices that the audiences really want to hear from. So I will continue to follow you and your work. And um, I really thank you for the time. I've enjoyed this very, very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. And I think, I mean, we all have gifts and passions and everybody just needs to get out there and just embrace them and go for it. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Fireside Chat with Ashley Moore. I think you'll agree she just oozes positivity and passion and she just seems like the person you want to be around. I really enjoyed our conversation and more than just hearing about her success and how she's grown this incredible firm, also how humble she is in saying that she really has used what she says God has given her to maximize what she does and live every day with great passion and enjoyment. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please follow us on our podcast series on Apple. Join our conversation on YouTube, on LinkedIn, and of course, on Instagram at Urban Bonfire. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you.